Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. Well, it is good to see you guys. Well, thank you, John. It's good to see the rest of you too, you know. Anyway, I have to move some things, I'm sorry. So today's message is where are all the men? I'm just, just kidding. As you guys know, our men are on the men's advance, not a retreat, as we've been made to know that men don't retreat, they advance. All right, so now that we all know that, we'll make Pastor Scott proud, but it is good to see you guys. It's always uh, so enjoyable to get to, to come and to, to share God's word. I got one more trip, I think. All right. And so today we're, uh, a couple years ago I actually shared the story of King Hezekiah uh, in Second Kings. And that's actually over live stream, if you can remember those days. That feels like forever ago, right? And so we're going to kind of continue in that theme and, and continue on. But I wanted to share just a little bit about the kids' ministry uh, and getting started, and then some of the themes are actually be present in our time together today. And the first is that I think you guys have seen over the last three years, we're actually in our third year of going through the New City Catechism. And so um, it's really interesting. I think Jennifer shared a couple weeks ago, Allison, when she heard that we were going to go back to week one, she goes, I already know this. And we're like, that's right. <laughs> it's a good thing, Right. For her to be able to say that she's been created by God in his image to glorify him, that she knows that. That's why we're doing this, is because it's important for our kids to know that they've been created by God, that they're also, um, there's sin in their life, but to know that there's a redeemer who lives to, uh, to work in their lives. And then to know that the reason that they pray is, is to be able to seek God and, and all of those things, right? To know that the church is here as a body of believers. And so they get to learn all of those different things uh, through the questions and answers. One thing that, that many of you may not realize, and hopefully most of our families have noticed, is that um, there's something that we call milestones in terms of the kids' ministry. And so every time a kid has a birthday, we give them a birthday card and then we give them a resource. And so as you guys can kind of see, these are some of the resources that we hand out. And so when a baby's born, they get a little kid's Bible, a little baby Bible. Um, this is a new one that I just found that we're going to be introducing for our toddlers. And then we have the Jesus Storybook Bible. And then when they get to kind of a reading age, we actually give them an interactive Bible. And they can actually color the front of the Bible. And it's, it's just kind of a neat thing. And so uh, that's more like age seven and eight. And so, but what we really want to do is as a church for family ministry is to provide resources and tools for our parents uh, to be able to, to do the work of the ministry in their homes and for our kids to have Bibles to be able to read at whatever age that they are. And so that's, that's a big goal for me. Um, and so in the nursery, what we try to do is we try to introduce the questions. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. They're babies, right? <laughs> Uh, beyond that, once they get into the next age group, what we do is we just introduce the question and answers. And our main goal is not to really teach them. It's simply for them to learn the questions and the answers. And that's it. For three, four years, that's, that's our goal, is just for them to repeat over and over again what the questions and answers are. And we do fun little review games and, 
Uh, it's just really fun, and I really have enjoyed our teachers and their creativity in that. And then once they get to about third grade, we actually introduce them to something a little bit different. And so uh, what we do is they take the questions and answers during that time, and then we look at the Bible passage that the question and answer comes from, and then we do something called inductive Bible study. They don't know what that means, but that's what they're doing. And so that is we use just one acronym, and it's pretty simple. And so it's simple enough because what I want for our kids to know is that they can actually read God's Word on their own. That, look, and that's the thing that I hope that you guys can get from today as well, is that, look, it, we, we shouldn't go away from assembling together as the body of Christ, as Hebrews tells us. In addition, there is great godly counsel from a pastor who stands and preaches and proclaims the Word. And yet, there is as much importance when you go and read the Word on your own. And so all of those things together pair for a much healthier church. And so one of the things that we're trying to teach our kids is that they can read God's word. And so we give them a simple tool, and we call it, it's, it's an acronym, it's SPECA, S-P-E-C-K-A. And so going through it, S is in the passage, when we're looking at the passage, are there any sins that we need to avoid that you see from the passage? The P is, are there any promises that need to be kept? Are there any promises in the passage? The E is, is there an example for us to follow? And conversely, are are there any examples for us not to follow? The C is, are there any commands to obey? K, is there any knowledge in the passage? So is there anything that we can know about God? Is there anything that we can know about ourselves, about humanity, whatever it is? And then A is, how can we take what's been said in the passage and just apply it to our lives? And so what's truly incredible about this is that anybody can take any passage of Scripture, open it up, read the passage, and ask those questions. You may not have the answers, and that's okay, but it gives a good place for you to dive into the Word and to start really engaging with the Word, right? If you're reading the Word, great. If you want to take that a little bit to a a deeper level, do that. And I can tell you guys that when someone like Pastor Scott or myself starts a sermon, we do a lot of that. We just simply ask questions of the text. And we might ask the who, what, where, why type of thing. And so a lot of what is even being taught up here a lot of times is just those questions. Who, what, where, when, why? Are there any sins? Like it's just really looking at the passage and seeing what is God actually saying and then going from there. And so the reality is that I want to encourage you that reading God's word is something that all of us can do. And so that's one of the encouragements already from the passage that you guys are going to learn from today. But anyway, so back to kind of the story, the timeline. We're going to be in 2 Kings, but we're also going to be in 2 Chronicles as well because the story lines up in both of those. One side note, and, and you may know this, you may not, uh, 1 and 2 Kings was written before 1 and 2 Chronicles. 1 and 2 Kings was written during the actual timeline and time frame of the events that, are being take, that take place. First and Second Chronicles is written afterwards. And so when you read First and Second Kings, it's more of a matter of fact, this is what happened. When you read First and Second Chronicles, one of the things that First and Second Chronicles does is it leaves out some of the I don't want to say bad stuff, but what First and Second Chronicles is doing is, is as the people are coming back from exile, it's trying to give them hope. And so it's, it's written in this time frame and, 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 and way of looking that it's, it's saying we're coming back. Like this is our story and we're coming back. And so that's, 
that's just kind of the two perspectives, two, two perspectives of the passages. But anyway, so one of my favorite stories is that of, of Hezekiah in 2 Kings 18 through 20. And again, I shared that a couple years ago to kind of refresh. Assyria takes control of the northern kingdom Israel. And then Assyria comes to take Judah, which is the southern kingdom. And what ends up happening is that they, they pretty much are taunting and, and making fun of Israel, of Judah. And they're saying all of these things like, your God stands no chance. No one's ever stood a chance before us. So Hezekiah takes the scroll of, of just all this defamation that's coming against Judah and God. And he lays it before the altar and he cries out to God and God responds. And God ends up destroying the Assyrians. And so he saves them. And so it's this, it's this really amazing flow of story. And so uh, it's a tremendously encouraging. And it, it, what kind of is, is interesting, and you see this a lot through the kings, and even we'll see it today, is that Hezekiah ends up making some really poor decisions later in life. He ends up dying, um, as everyone does. But he just makes some poor decisions. He ends up dying. Um, and what happens is that his son Manasseh takes over, and he begins his reign when he's 12 years old. He ends up reigning for 55 years. And Manasseh has one of the, probably the worst descriptions of a king that you can have. And it says, 2 Kings 21, 2, it says, He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the despicable practices of the nations, whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he pretty much reinstitutes everything that Hezekiah takes down. So everything that Hezekiah does, his son comes along and just redoes it all. And so Manasseh's reign was a such tragedy and bloodshed that God declares to Judah and Jerusalem that they would have to be cleansed. And if you want a really, really terrible descriptor, read 2 Kings 21, 10 through 15. Because being cleansed is a really light version of what God says about the people of Judah. And however, there's, there's this interesting sliver of hope. So Hezekiah and Manasseh's lives are very different. Hezekiah seeks the Lord, follows the Lord, makes some bad decisions later in life. Manasseh, for the most of his life, is a terrible person. He sacrifices his own kids on the altar, does all of these terrible things. And at the end of his life, he's taken away by hooks uh, from the Assyrians to, to Babylon. And, um, and at that point, he actually repents and seeks the Lord. And so what ends up happening, and this is in 2 Chronicles 33, 10 through 17, where we're told that late in his reign, he repents, he prays, God actually brings him back to Jerusalem where he's, he finishes his reign. And what's interesting is that he actually tries to restore some of the things that he's, he's actually put up the pole, Asherah poles and they're worshiping Baal and all these different things. And he tries to attempt some restoration. And then what's interesting is that then his son Amon comes along. And for two years, Amon does every despicable thing that he can think of. So much so that there's an uprising where the people actually kill Amon. Then what happens is that the, the, rest, the servants who actually kill Amon, then there's the rest of the people come in and kill the servants. And then all of a sudden, we're left with like, well, who's next in line? And so, Henry, I want you to come on up. All right? So, I want you guys to think this. I want you to see the visual. Come here, buddy. All right? Next in line is an eight-year-old boy named Josiah. Now, I want you guys to visualize for a second. Our entire country is going to be ruled by... Henry's seven, by the way. But it, <laughs> our entire country is going to be ruled by an eight-year-old. I just want us to think about that for a second. It just seems so crazy, doesn't it? Now, one thing that I can tell you is that we would have a lot more playtime and a lot more fruit to eat. Um, and we would be incredibly fashionable. So go ahead and go sit down, buddy. I'll take the crown. Thanks, buddy. 
But I just wanted that visual for a second because when you read that, you're like, okay, an eight-year-old, and it's like, well, that's kind of crazy. And then you like, I have a seven-year-old, and it's like, man, what would life be like with an eight-year-old at the, at the helm of an entire country? <laughs> and so obviously we know that Josiah most likely didn't actually lead. He would have had advisors and all of those things. And so, um, but at the same time, there's this aspect in which could you imagine having all of this authority and control at eight years old, even at 14 years old or 20 years old? Like that's a lot of responsibility, a lot of control, a lot of authority. And so it's just kind of this really interesting picture that we kind of get put in. And so before we kind of dive into the text in Second Chronicles, one of the things that I want to remind us of as we read the Old Testament is that we have to read the Old Testament through the lens of the Old Testament. One of those things being is that Judah is under, first, the Mosaic Covenant, which means if you go back to Exodus, the Mosaic Covenant is where God establishes this promise, this covenant with the people of Israel, that he's going to bless them, multiply them, but that he's also going to hold them accountable. And so if they aren't obedient, then God is going to have consequences for them. And so what we actually see from his great-grandfather, Josiah's great-grandfather with Manasseh, is that so much has been done that God has promised that he's going to take them away. He's getting ready to take them out, essentially. He's going to cleanse them. And so what we see is that Josiah comes in in the middle of a mess, right? There's so much idolatry. There's, there's child sacrifice. There's all these things that are going on. And then the second piece is that we have to realize that there's something called the Davidic Covenant, so Josiah being a king in the line of David. So in 2 Samuel 7, we're told that the Davidic covenant is established with the heirs of David, that forever would there someone be on the throne in the line of David. Eventually, we know that's going to be Jesus, okay? We get to have the perspective of being at the end. And so what happens is that Josiah is of the line of David, and what God says for the Davidic covenant is that if the king will be obedient and listen and follow. I will bless not only the king, but the entire country. And so what we see is Josiah, the eight-year-old, the second or third grader, as king. And so what we see is that he becomes king at eight. His grandfather's dead. His father's been murdered. And we kind of like have this feeling like, what, what was going through the mind of, a, of an eight-year-old? And so, but one thing that we know for sure is that someone had to take charge. And so we kind of know that there's probably two people who probably played a big role in, in, in Josiah's life. One is Shaphan. He's a Levite and the governor of the city. Uh, Hilkiah is also the high priest. And we both see those names throughout this passage. But whoever influenced Josiah, we know this. 2 Kings 23, 25 says, Now before him there was no king like him. That's a pretty powerful statement. Now, before him, there was no king like him. This includes David and Solomon, uh, Jehoshaphat and Hezekiah. There was none like him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his soul, and with all his might. It's not David the man known as the man after God's heart. And here, Josiah, the child king, is known as there is no king like him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his might, according to the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. It's a pretty powerful description. And so before we begin, I want us to pray over his word. Lord, we are grateful for your word. 
And as we look to it, we pray that you would help us mightily to know you, to see how Josiah's life might play a role in ours. Not so that we can put him on a pedestal or make him our hero, but Lord, to see that that you are good and faithful and work in the lives of people all around us. So Father, do a good work in us. Help us to know your word. Help us to follow and be obedient to you, we pray. Amen. All right. So again, Josiah's reign is in 2 Kings 22 through 23 and in 2 Chronicles 34 through 35. We're going to start in 2 Chronicles 34. I'm going to share synopsis and and look at some passages. So just kind of, you can listen, you can read along, that's okay, whatever uh, works best for you. So 2 Chronicles 34.1. All right, so Josiah begins his reign at eight years old. And we don't know what Josiah did for the next eight years. But if we look at verse three, it says, for in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth. All right, so think for a second, eight plus eight is 16, okay? Josiah is 16 years old. And it says, he began to seek the God of his father, David. Josiah was 16 years old, and God makes the point that while he's still like this young, young man, he begins to seek the God of his father, David. And I think what's interesting is you hear that point that he makes, that it, it, it points all the way back to the line of David, right? It's not the, the God of his father, Amon. It's not the God of his grandfather, Manasseh. The God of his father, David. And so he begins to seek the God of his father, David, And four years after that, he begins to take action and he purges out the idols in Judah and Israel. In verse 3 and following, it says this, In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth, Josiah began to seek the God of his ancestor David. And in the twelfth year, he began to cleanse Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherah poles, the carved images, and the cast images. Then in the presence of the altars of the Baals were torn down, and he chopped down the shrines that were above them. He shattered the Asherah poles, the carved images, and the cast images. He crushed them to dust. He scattered them over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. Now here, when we're thinking of Specca, this is not an example to follow, just so everyone's clear. He burned the bones of the priest on their altars, so he cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. He did the same in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, and as far as Naphtali, and on their surrounding mountain shrines. He tore down the altars, and he smashed the Asherah poles and carved the images to powder. He chopped down all the shines throughout the land of Israel and returned to Jerusalem. In the 18th year of his reign, so he was 26 years old, in order to cleanse the land and the temple, Josiah sent Shaphan, son of Azaliah, along with some others to repair the temple of the Lord as God. All right, so at 26 years old, Josiah begins to restore the temple, which was actually kind of started a little bit before that. And it's in while they're restoring the temple that the high priest Hilkiah found the book of the law. And so let's listen to 2 Kings 22, 3-11. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent the court secretary Shaphan, son of Azaliah, son of Meshulam, to the Lord's temple, saying, Go up to the high priest Hilkiah, so that he may total up the silver brought into the Lord's temple. The silver the doorkeepers have collected from the people. It is to be given to those, who do, those doing the work, those who oversee the Lord's temple. They are in turn to give it to the workmen in the Lord's temple to repair the damage. They are to give it to the carpenters, the builders, and the masons to buy timber and quarried stone to repair the temple. But no accounting is to be required from them to give silver given to them since they work with integrity. Verse 8. The high priest Hilkiah told the court secretary Shaphan, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. And he gave the book to Shaphan who read it. Now just for a second, you think of like... 
the book of the law, and most likely what they're referring to is at least a portion, if not all, of Deuteronomy, all right, which is one of the most important books in the, in, in the, the Torah. All right, so you have the book of Deuteronomy that somehow has been just like hidden in some side storage location inside of the temple, all right? And it's, so, it's of so much importance that when they find it, it's almost like they found gold, right? They're, like they're talking about all the money, and it's like, yeah, do whatever. Like make sure it's taken care of. Like these people are integrity. Don't worry about it. It's just money. And then they get to it, and they're like, hey, we, we found the book of the law. Like it was just hiding out in the temple. And I, th- I think just a, a side note, I th- um, like how many of our Bibles are just kind of like hiding out in our our bookshelves somewhere and we say hey, what's over there like it, it's over there all right so Shaphan takes the we're reading verse 9 the court secretary Shaphan went to the king and reported your servants have emptied out the silver that was found in the temple and had given it to those doing the work those oversee the Lord's temple then the court tech, secretary Shaphan told the king the priest Hilkiah has given me a book or a scroll and Shaphan read it in the presence of the king and this is really important verse 11 when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. I don't know about you guys. I, I, I remember hearing like, and, and, and for those who, who, who grew up in the church, it may not be such a stark like in your face like thing, but I can remember reading God's word for the first time, listening as I got saved in that pew over there um, uh, 15 years ago at least. It's more than that. Anyway, and I can remember hearing the message of the word for the first time and being so struck by how adverse my life was from it. And I can, I don't think that I tore my clothes, um, but I can remember there, sitting there just, you know, crying out to the Lord and just, and saying, Lord, I need you. I, I can't do this. And so even in this midst, you have this 26-year-old man who, even at this point, he's serving the Lord, right? He desires to serve God, but thinking like he's never heard the law, like he's never heard the book of Deuteronomy before. And he's serving the Lord as best as he can, probably it seems. And he has good counsel, which is also something that we should have. And you see him as he hears God's word, really for probably the first time, his natural response is to just be tearing his clothes in utter ruin, knowing that his people and his country are not serving the Lord. And so there's a natural response that happens when we meet God. All right? And so there is an aspect in which we have to know, and we know because of a new covenant type of perspective that we get to see that God loves us dearly. And at the same time, God is perfect and righteous and holy. And when we meet a perfect, righteous, just, holy God, we're met with an utter, overwhelming aspect of his awe, of his greatness. And so that's what Josiah experiences. And he realizes that they've fallen short of it all. The idolatry, the sin, the, everything that's been happening. What's interesting at the same time, this is like the beautiful thing when you, when you get to read scripture, is that Jeremiah at the same time, I think it's in the 13th year of Josiah's reign, begins prophesying in the streets and just telling the people of the, of, of the incoming, uh, of the oncoming um, uh, wrath that's going to be coming. And so what we see is like there's this pairing, like God's doing something here. Josiah reads the law, tears his clothes, and he realizes their state and condition before God. And he's absolutely horrified by it. He knew Israel's idolatry. He believed God's word, and he took it personally. 
And in verse 13 it says, Go and inquire of the Lord for me, for the people, for all of Judah, about the words in this book that have been found. All right, it's not just that Josiah heard the word, but he inquires of the words in the word. His immediate response is totally to, I need to know what the word is. I need to know what the law is. And God responds in verse 19. And think of this in connection to the Davidic covenant. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against all of its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse. And because you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I myself have heard, this is the Lord's declaration. Therefore, I will indeed gather to you your ancestors and you will be gathered to your grave in peace your eyes will not see all the disaster that i am bringing on this place there's something interesting when we read old testament stories you know whether it's the 12 spies who go out and the 10 who don't think that they can actually win the battle and the the two who actually do and then they end up later being the only two who get to go in to the promised land or moses who takes it upon himself to put a staff on the rock and Because of that, he doesn't get to go into the promised land. When we think of the Mosaic Covenant, there's something very specific about obedience and to whether God's blessing or curse happens. And so with something like Josiah, because of his obedience in following the Lord, there's a blessing that occurs because of this. One, because he's an individual, but more specifically because he's a king. Not only does Josiah experience peace, But the entire nation of Judah experiences peace during this time. What's interesting is that during this time, the Assyrians are actually kind of throttling down. The Egyptians have come into some power, but they haven't quite really wanted any of the northern uh, kingdoms that are above them. And the Babylonians are starting to rise. And so there's, there's this period of peace. What we know after this is the Babylonians rise to power and they absolutely crush everything beside them. And so during this little time of 31 years, God gives peace. And what we know from Scripture is that God gives peace because of Josiah's faithfulness. And Josiah is faithful because he seeks the Lord, and after seeking the Lord, he sees the Word, and after he sees the Word, he responds accordingly. If you guys can remember back in the earlier timeline, Manasseh's reign was of such wickedness that God declared he was going to cleanse Judah. But because of Josiah's response, he gives peace for a moment. So after Josiah hears the word and the declaration, he gathers the people together, and he actually proclaims the law of God to them, and he renews the covenant with God with them. And it's in that moment that he actually, he he sets up the entire nation to covenant back with God to be obedient to to the law, to the testimonies, to to everything that's going on. But he dedicates the entire nation to serving the Lord. And what's really interesting, when you read 2 Kings 23 or even 2 Chronicles, we see um, he goes from place to place to place. He even goes outside of the area of Judah and, and, and destroys stuff. But he goes to the altars of Baal and he tears them down. He, he, he finds as many idols and images and he destroys them. Uh, He went as far as even having the pagan priests killed and burning their bodies on the altar that they had constructed to make sacrifices to false gods. In chapter 23, and I want to take a moment real quick and just say that's, that's a harsh reality of the Old Testament. 
and one that's difficult sometimes to overcome. But there's something about cleansing when it comes to the idolatry and the wickedness of a nation where God's requirement in the Old Testament is for the, the people to be taken out. And so when that doesn't happen, what we see are the, the ramifications and the result is that the continuation of sin exists. According to the 23rd chapter of 2 Kings, Josiah also destroyed the houses of the mill temple prostitutes. He did away with the detestable practice of child sacrifice, which his father and great-grandfather had done. And he got rid of all the, the psychics, the mediums, the witches, and those who practiced the occult. We're even told that, uh, it, it's kind of an inference, we're told that Josiah was the first king who was willing to tear down the places of worship that Solomon had erected for his many wives. In 2 Chronicles 35, Josiah is even uh, mentioned as being the first king to reinstitute Passover, which hadn't been practiced since the days of Samuel. And so you have this young man at, at eight years old who becomes king and, and grows up seeking and desiring the Lord, and, and he experiences the word for the first time, and he tears his clothes, and he, he calls the entire nation to, to repent and to be restored into covenant with God. And he goes around and he, he actually doesn't just say this, but he, he starts tearing down the things that have been the idols and the wickedness in the way of them serving the Lord. So much so that he has to go all the way back to the time of, of Solomon and everything that he's constructed to tear it down. Like, Josiah was for real. Like, it, it wasn't just about like, well, we're going to serve you, Lord. There's the big statue over there. It's still good. Well, you know, some people can pray to that. That's okay. And so I think about that in our lives too, right? As we relate and apply a passage to ourselves. And so for us to say that we're going to serve the Lord should mean that there's action that's backed by that proclamation of surrender. And so, look, I, do, do any of us have Asherah poles in our backyard? Probably not. I hope not. <laughs> but many of us still have idols that we have all around us. Things in our lives that are getting in the way of us serving and really surrendering to the Lord, including me. Things that distract us from serving the Lord, whether, whether that be something as simple as your phone or your TV or, look, honestly, something as much as, and this is a difficult thing to say because there's an element of good to it, something is how much time you spend working on your, your yard outside. It's not a bad thing, but is it, a, is it the thing that's getting in the way of you serving the Lord? It doesn't have to be a bad thing. It could be a good thing that you're using disproportionately in terms of is Christ preeminent in your life? And so that's the thing that we, we have to be able to come into a spot where we can say, God, what is it that we're creating as an idol that exists above you? What insecurity, what thing is it that I'm trying to make most more important in my life than you? Josiah was extraordinarily serious about this. It wasn't just one of these things where he said, you know what, we want to serve you, God. He he literally tore down everything that he could that was getting in the way of serving the Lord. You know, what's interesting is that um, maybe you might be willing to do this, but uh, working with teens over the years, uh, teens are willing to do some crazy stuff to serve the Lord. Um, for instance, I, I had a teen that was not associated with us but with another group that, that literally, he had a porn addiction. You know what he did? He destroyed his phone because he didn't want to serve himself anymore. And so, 
honestly, the first thing that I think most of us think about when it comes to those types of things is, man, that costs a lot of money. I need that. And sometimes there's a a recklessness that it looks like to serve the Lord when getting rid of things that are getting in the way of us serving him. So I just, look, I don't know what that is for your life, but I know in my life there are probably some things that could look reckless if I really got rid of what I should get rid of. And I think that's probably the same for all of us. What's interesting is that after this time period, we really don't get anything from Josiah's life until his end. And just like the rest of the kings, Josiah's end is kind of puzzling. And so in 2 Chronicles 35, we're told that Josiah goes to fight Necho, which is the king of Egypt. And this is one of those things that's always really interesting as well, because God uses other nations. Uh, I did a sermon a couple years ago on Habakkuk, and God says that uh, to Habakkuk that I use other nations to accomplish my will. So Necho tells Josiah when he meets him in the battlefield, I am not coming against you this day, but against the house of which, with which I am at war. And God has commanded me to hurry. Cease opposing God who is with me, lest he destroy you. Josiah, having heard this, instead disguises himself in order to fight him. So he doesn't listen to the words of Necho from the mouth of God. And Josiah, having been disguised, is struck down by an arrow. He returns home and he dies at the age of 39 years old. And so I think it's, it's really easy, kind of a, a sidestep kind of thing is that, man, Josiah was a godly king. He loved the Lord. He's only 39 years old and God, like, God allows him to die, right? And yet we know, and something that's of interest is something that isn't said. So we, we have what's said, which is God didn't listen to Nico, who was speaking from God, or Josiah didn't listen to Necho, who was speaking from God. But what we also don't see is that Josiah doesn't seek the Lord. There's no mention that he, he prays to the Lord. There's no mention that he seeks any godly counsel or advice. Instead, it seems like Josiah, maybe that moment is serving Josiah. But God allows for Josiah to die. And after his death, what we see is a very, very, very quick fall. Within two very quick sons who take over as king, the Babylonians are on the door and they begin taking kings out one at a time to whoever can serve them better. And then eventually they just take them off into exile. So when we think of Josiah's life, there's a few things that I think are of really importance. And I mentioned them earlier. And that is at the age of, I think it was 12 or 16, Josiah really begins to seek the Lord. And when, after seeking the Lord and he gets God's word, which is the, the book of the law, Josiah hears the word, then Josiah responds to the word, then Josiah proclaims the word, and then Josiah follows the word. At the end of his life, Josiah goes against Nico, and what he's missing is that. We don't see Josiah seeking the Lord. When he hears the warning from God, he doesn't listen. And so thinking through what we mentioned earlier, the specca, One of the sins to avoid is self-dependence. So one of the things that we see in the life of Josiah, it appears, is that he was relying on himself at the end. In addition to that, we can think through the story and we can look at 
all the idolatry and um, the child sacrifice and the shedding of innocent blood and all of these things that are terrible injustices are things that are sins that we should avoid in our life as well. And so again, what I want to remind us of is that, yes, we may not have Asherah poles or we may not have stones that we're using to, for us to serve and to worship in the middle of our sanctuary, but we all have idols that can get in the way of us serving the Lord. When we think about a promise to keep, again, when thinking through the Old Testament, we have to view the promises through the lens of the covenants, all right? And so when God speaks to Josiah and to the people of Judah, there are two specific promises that he gives about those two groups or individuals. The first is that God declares to Josiah that he's going to allow him to live in peace, all right? And so what we know from the story is that God is faithful to that promise, The second thing is that God said that he was going to cleanse Judah. And we know very quickly, after Josiah dies, that God cleanses Judah. And so God gives two promises, and we actually can see the fulfillment of both of those promises. Now for us, when we think about those, is that those promises don't exist for us. They exist for the people in that story. So what we have to do is to separate ourselves from Josiah And so what we can see is that the promises that God gives, he's faithful. And so when he gives us promises, we know that he can be faithful. So that's part of what we can know about that. And the reality is that we're not attached to the Davidic covenant outside of the fact that Jesus is on the throne. And we're not attached to the Mosaic covenant because we're attached to the new covenant, which we see in the New Testament through the blood of Jesus. Romans 3.20 tells us, that the knowledge of sin comes through the law. Romans 7 tells us that the law was given to reveal sin and our inability to keep it. So when we look at Josiah's life, what we can realize is that when he read the law, he was exposed to his sin, and then he, as a response from that, was trying to live in obedience to the law. And what we can know from our new covenant perspective is that he was never going to be able to keep it anyway. And so we have to view that also through the lens of how we view uh, Josiah, as well as the entire Old Testament. Because Romans 8 is the answer that we need, which tells us that it's only by God's Spirit that we can be set free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And so we exist in a better covenant because we have Jesus. We have the blood of the covenant which cleanses us from sin. So not only are we exposed to the fact that we are in sin, but we're exposed to the fact that in Christ Jesus we can be free from it. And so that is the very important distinction for us, is that Josiah was attempting to do something he never could because he never had the Spirit. That's the very important distinction that we have to have for ourselves, is that for us, the promise through this is knowing the picture of the whole story and saying that yes, we can be exposed to this promise through Josiah, knowing that God is faithful and that he's going to be faithful with the new covenant that he has for us, and knowing that we can be set free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That is our promise that we can, because of the context of the whole word, can know. We can therefore look at Josiah's life a little differently as an unfulfilled encouraging example. Right? So sin to avoid, promise to keep, example to follow. So when we look at the life of Josiah, 
Josiah is a man who is known as seeking the Lord with his heart, his soul, and his mind. He's a man, a young man, who desired to serve the Lord. And after hearing God's word, realized his sin and placed his faith in, Christ, in God, in Christ. And God's word changed his life. I don't know about you guys, but that's an example for us to follow, right? Josiah is not a perfect man, and he's not someone that we should emulate in every way. And at the same time, he is a person who has faith in God to such an extent that he was willing to lay down everything to destroy everything around him that could get him in the way of serving the Lord. And so for us, that is a beautiful example for us to follow. For us to know that, that it's okay to surrender it all and that God is faithful and, and good to his promises. So the example for us to follow is this not perfect man who desires to serve the Lord and is changed by the word. And so for us, another example is that Josiah placed importance on this. When he saw the word, he clung to the word. And he not only clung to the word, but he made sure everyone else around him knew about it too. Again, I don't know about you guys, but that's a pretty good example to follow. Now, the example not to follow is the end of his life. When Josiah, having seen this opportunity to fight Nico and not listening to his advice, decides to fight him anyway under disguise. And he doesn't, by omission, doesn't seek the Lord. And so for us, I don't know about you guys, but it's really easy to go throughout your day and just to not seek God. And now, I, I don't know that that we need to, to say, like, should I drink this water or should I drink that water? Okay, I don't think we need to go to that extent. But I do think there's an element in which we make a lot of decisions without ever asking God, without ever seeking Him, without ever even just pausing to say, God, is this your will? Is this your desire? Is this the best thing for me? Is this the best thing for your kingdom? And so I would encourage you, one of the, one of the easiest things, if you repetitively do it over and over again is to, in the middle of conversations, I, I could be having a conversation with Lisa and, and just during it being, Lord, I, I need your help. Like, help me have the words to encourage her well. And if maybe I'm, I'm having a conversation with someone who isn't a believer and I, or maybe I don't know, just saying, Lord, can you open the door for me to have a conversation with this person? It, is it the right time to be bold and to be able to share the gospel? Can you allow for that to open up? Right? So in all of our activities and inter interactions with people, just being able to stop for a minute, even in our mind while we're having a conversation, just saying, God, I need you. I need your help. Some of us don't even seek the Lord in the biggest decisions of our lives, which again points to Josiah's example, which is that in not seeking the Lord, there can be some really grave consequences. So, Josiah's example is both good and unfortunate for us to follow and not to follow. If we're thinking through the next part, sin to avoid, promise to keep, example to follow, command to obey. When we look at Josiah's life, the command that, that's the obedience is when after reading the word, he gathers all the people and he says, we are covenanting with you through your commandments and your testimonies. And so that's the command that's, that's kind of infiltrated in this passage, uh, but one that doesn't attach to us in the same way. So it's one of those things where we can look at and see that Josiah and the people of Judah are being obedient and following the commandments. That's their desire. And for us, we're even told in the New Testament 
that it's not that Christ came to, to get rid of the law, but to fulfill it, right? And so what we actually know when Jesus speaks is that what Christ compels us to is much greater than what the law even is. And so for us, as we think through a New Testament, New Covenant lens, our command can still be attached to the fact of being obedient to God. So in the same way that Josiah did, 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 um, desire to be obedient, we can also desire to be obedient in that same type of aspect of the commands. The next one is knowledge. And so what can we know about God and about us in this passage as people? We can also know things about Josiah. We can know that Josiah was a man who desired to serve the Lord. We can know that Judah was on the doorsteps of being cleansed. Those are things that we can know. In addition, we can know things like the characteristics of God. So we can know that, that God is, is loving and kind and he's faithful to his promises. Uh, we can know that, that he's omniscient. He knows everything that's going on. Uh, there, there's a passage in, I think it's uh, 1 Kings, where uh, we're told that there's going to be a king named Josiah who's going to reign and, and take things down. We're actually told that. So God is omniscient. He knows what's going to happen beforehand. We know that he's sovereign, which means that he's in control and power of it all. So much so that he uses kings like Nico to advance his will. God is in control. There is no other power that can be against him. He's faithful, he's loving, and we could continue to go on to see all the characteristics that we could go through with this. What we can know about man are a few things in addition to this, but we know that men and women are sinful, yet capable of being restored. We are idolatrous, yet we're able to worship God. We're able to serve, yet we're prone to wonder. And there's a lot more that we can know about us as well. But do you guys kind of get what I'm saying here? You can go through a passage, and this is narrative, which is, you know, I mean, we're, we're looking at two to four chapters of, of, of Scripture, but you can go through and just look and say, what can I know about God because of reading this? Well, God is faithful to Josiah, and unfortunately, he's faithful to Judah too. Like, it's not good, but he's, he's, he's doing what he said he was going to do. Right? We can look through and see these things that are happening and know things about God, even if they don't necessarily apply to us. Right? So whether the promises were applicable to Josiah, well, it doesn't mean that we're going to be kings and that the nation's going to do really well because we're righteous. Right? But we can see the principles in the promise. And then finally, getting to the last part, which honestly tends to be the piece that really rolls out in our lives as the application. And so after reading the story, how do we apply it to our lives? The main point of application that I would suggest is look at the life of Josiah and see that when he read God's word and when he responded to God's word and when he proclaimed God's word and when he lived God's word, there was a lot of blessing that came from that. Right? It doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be financial blessing or that there's going to be security for you, but you will have God, and that's all you need. So there's a lot more application that we can see from the text, but what I wanted to show you guys is that's what our kids are learning right now in our older kids' class. Maybe not today because I think there's only one, and she's in mine, and she's with the younger kids, but on a weekly basis, that's what we're trying to do. Something that simple that when you read God's word, whether it's a, a hug me Bible or a Bible for toddlers or a storybook Bible 
or when we get to a full Bible, that they can look and see that God loves them and cares for them and desires to be in relationship and has a way to redeem them and to rescue them. And then they can really know God. And I hope that's the same for you guys as well. And so, with that being said, I just want to take a moment for us to, to stop and to consider God, that we might know him and that we might respond accordingly to his word. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.